welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud preemie mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are, and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing, and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different, and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's physician for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge. My opinions do not represent that of my employers. To close out Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, I sat down with Tasha Rohal. Tasha was kind enough to openly and so vulnerably share the losses and subsequent grief that she and her husband have endured. She speaks about how it was her grief that drove her to make a difference and help so many other families after their personal experience. Tasha wanted to give the gift of time to any other parents who had to endure the unimaginable path of losing a child by donating cuddle cots to 10 local hospitals. Additionally, she continues to honor their son, Daniel, and their other two losses by working on the White Lily Project. Along with three other mothers who have endured loss, they are raising money to fund an Angel of Hope statue. The Statue of Hope in Healing Garden will offer parents and family members who have experienced a pregnancy loss or the loss of an infant or child a place to honor their loved one and also find a sense of community with others who have experienced a similar tragedy. You will not want to miss this episode as we discuss loss and grief and how beauty and light can be restored within you after enduring a completely unexpected tragedy. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by Dr. Brown's Medical. Dr. Brown's Medical strives to deliver valuable infant feeding products and programs to support professionals in providing positive feeding experiences for the infants in their care. Traditional feeding products and practices in the NICU are inconsistent and can result in poor feeding outcomes. All babies deserve positive feeding experiences for life. 100% of the top children's hospitals in the United States utilize Dr. Brown's effective feeding solutions. Dr. Brown's unique zero-resistance bottle systems, nipples with reliable flow rates, and the infant-driven feeding program are evidence-based standard of care practices that improve infant feeding outcomes. The Dr. Brown's medical team is available to provide support for you and your team to help achieve best practice results. Dr. Brown's medical provides four free webinars every year on various infant feeding topics and offers continuing education hours for nurses, 
occupational therapists, and speech-language pathologists. Learn more at www.drbrownsmedical.com or find the link in the show notes. Have you been searching for the perfect NICU journal and you've been unable to find it? At Empowering NICU Parents, we have created a comprehensive NICU journal called Our NICU Roadmap. The journal is specific for NICU infants and includes everything you've been looking for plus more. We took all of your suggestions to heart and recently revised the journal based on your feedback as well. So it is smaller in size and will fit right into your bag, plus at a better price. The journal has everything I felt was pertinent, both as a neonatal nurse practitioner and a former NICU mother. Our NICU Roadmap provides a place for you to document all of your baby's progress while they're in the NICU. It will equip you with all of the necessary tools so you can confidently become an active member of your baby's care team. We have included educational resources to help you understand the NICU journey better, including, but not limited to, a detailed glossary that covers terms and abbreviations common to the NICU, and a NICU image to help you understand equipment commonly used in the NICU. Not sure what questions to even ask the NICU care team? We have you covered. The daily log guides you with questions to ask the care team, plus adequate space to document all of the pertinent updates for your baby each day. Next, we included specific areas to document all of the details on your amazing miracle, including birth stats, delivery details, weekly measurements, eye exam, and head ultrasound results. We also included a separate full journal section in the back to help you document and process all of your feelings and emotions throughout the journey. In our journal, you will find everything you need plus the finite details you have not even thought of yet. I promise you will look back on this and be amazed by your little one and all of their achievements, and it will be such a great keepsake. Go and grab your copy of our NICU Roadmap now on Amazon, or if you are interested in buying in bulk at a discounted price for your hospital or organization, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash NICU journal to contact us and see additional details and images of our journal or find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Hello, everybody. I am so excited today to be joined by a very special guest. Uh, Tasha Rohal is joining me today, and she and I, we've been connected in a lot of different ways, but we first met each other back in whenever I worked as a neonatal nurse practitioner in Illinois. So Tasha, I would love it if you could introduce yourself and let us know a little bit more about you and your family, where you live, and what you do for work. Yes, yes, it's nice to nice to see you again. It's been a while. So yeah, I am from a small town in central Illinois. And I was born and raised here. I've lived in a few different places kind of along the way up in Chicago and then and about an hour north of where we are now. And so we have been living back in our hometown for about six years now. My husband and I, we have been married will be 10 years next year. And we have four boys. I am a speech pathologist. I've worked in a a couple different settings, but presently I do early intervention. And so that's a birth to three program. And I see um, those children for whether it's speech and language services or for feeding therapy. Prior to that, I was working at a couple different hospitals um, and then doing outpatient and then 
also whenever I was with you uh, working in the NICU. So I've loved all of it and I've really enjoyed it. And I, you know, really enjoy spending time with my family and just having that family quality time. So all our families live around us. So it's been great to be back with them and it's really wonderful. Yes, I know. I was so sad when you went back to your to your hometown when you left our area and, you know, you were no longer working in the NICU with us. But I know it was a great move for your family. And I'm sure to be surrounded by your extended family is very supportive and just lovely. If you don't mind sharing just a little bit more about your pregnancies and your children, we would love that. Yeah, absolutely. So really, I've had six pregnancies, but we've lost a baby in every trimester. And I included um, in uh, our four boys, our second son was stillborn um, at nearly 31 weeks gestation. And that was back in October of 2017. You know, we had no, um, we had no idea that that was going to happen whatsoever. We knew that he was a healthy, it was a healthy pregnancy. There was no complications. Um, We were considered high risk um, because of our uh, prior pregnancy, our first son, which you know well about. He had a medical condition, which I can kind of touch on later, and he was in the NICU. But with our son, Daniel, he uh, was stillborn. And, you know, it took about... It took about a year for us to really figure out what likely caused his stillbirth. He had a velamentous cord insertion. And for those that don't know what that is, basically there was no protective coating on the cord, which caused the cord to get compressed as he grew, which cut off his oxygen supply. And so that is highly correlated with stillbirth. So we have, you know, I feel like that helped give give us some closure. But, you know, in that regard, it's... (laughs) As lo- as you know, as well, you know, um, dealing with loss, especially the loss of a child, it, it has to be the most excruciating loss that any human can go through. And, you know, it's been six years now, and, and I can definitely say I'm in a much better place since then. But, you know, we've also dealt with other losses along the way, we've had a 10 week loss which um, we found out was because of a trisomy error, um, which happens to most of you know pregnancy losses, especially earlier on in the first trimester. And then we lost our baby girl at 15 weeks. Uh, everything was going great, no issues. I did have COVID two weeks before that. So it was, it's hard to really know for certain, you know, um, if there was a correlation with that at all, but they could not find we did every genetic test. You know, we went through genetic testing. There was nothing to explain her passing. So yeah, we've had six pregnancies um, and it's just, it's a hard thing to really come to, but losing a, a baby in every trimester, is, it's definitely been something that I've had to obviously uh, learn from and grow from and um, really just kind of figure out how to navigate life from because it's, you know, it's caused us to face a lot of different challenges along the way. And with our first son, Drayson, he was born in 2015 and we had no idea um, that he was going to have a TEF and an EA, so a tracheoesophageal fistula and an esophageal atresia. It's a mouthful. So basically his esophagus was connected to his airway. And so the top part of his esophagus was basically like a pocket. Um, all of his secretions were pulling in, in there, which was causing him to choke on his his saliva. And then he was airlifted from the hospital I had him at um, to another hospital for him to have an emergency surgery on his airway. And they reconstructed it. And that was a really difficult time too. There was a, a time where he coded. It was just, I mean, you know, the NICU life as a mom, it's really scary. Unfortunately, our son um, only had to spend two weeks in the NICU. He really did great. 
but that led to other issues down the road with respiratory conditions for years. And and that also led to another reconstructive airway surgery that just happened about a year and a half ago. But you'd never know it by looking at him. Um, He is the most active little guy. So yeah, you know, when you start having kids, I mean, you, you know, too, like it's, you see rainbows and sunshine and you think, oh, this is how it's going to go. And you have all these plans. And and when things don't go that way and things go, can go very wrong, it's, it's just a lot to, to, to try and navigate through. So it's been quite the process, but. Definitely. And thank you so much for sharing all that. I guess you and I, because we have talked and we're friends and you've been such a great support to me and through, you know, our losses. And I know some of the stuff that we've shared, I didn't realize that you had found, I guess, a reason for Daniel um, as well as maybe, I think I did know maybe about one of the pregnancies, but because I know for me personally, and, and I think you and I have chatted about this, that that as somebody that has lost somebody, it is such a question that comes up all the time in your mind. And you try really hard not to blame yourself and know that I know deep down that it wasn't my fault, but you just, you want a reason. And I think especially, maybe I can only speak for myself, but having a medical background, I want to know answers. And when you don't have them and when you don't know them, and I know it's taken you obviously a long time to process everything, but do you find that the having a little bit of answers, at least for a couple of the pregnancies has helped a little bit or has it at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, especially for our um, son that was our Daniel that was stillborn, we went a full year without having any answers. Uh, our doctor said, you know, sometimes these things just happen and we, and we don't know. And I, so I just dug, I started digging into research and, you know, in every possible avenue. And it was really hard for me to find any closure in that because again, you know, I was worried about what did I do? You know, could there have been something that I did wrong? And it ended up being, I ended up switching specialists and this other specialist found an error in the medical record and in the medical um, pathology report regarding the the placenta and the umbilical cord. And that could have been found, you know, at the time that it was done. And so I'm just, I'm glad we have answers now, but it would have been very much appreciated if we would have had something to go off of after his passing, because like I said, it, it, it was really hard to try and navigate through all of that without having any kind of answer. And, you know, and with our daughter that, you know, she, our baby girl that passed away at 15 weeks, it's, I'm always going to wonder, you know, what could have been, or, you know, what may have caused her to pass. Um, But, you know, in our other pregnancy, of course, it's always going to help knowing that there's something, you know, there's some kind of reason behind it. So yeah, absolutely. And how did, or I guess, you know, because you have then gone on to have um, two other little boys, I guess after, after the losses, there was anything that helped you or anything that you could help other people? Like, how did you and your husband feel comfortable to be like, okay, we're ready to try again? You know, I guess because I think with that fear, I know that I was very apprehensive, even after William. So I'm just curious if there was anything you just kind of put it in your faith? Or was there something mentally that helped you get through? Or how did you guys get through that? Yeah, you know, I think, I think especially losing Daniel, our son that was stillborn at such, you know, in the third trimester, all I could think about was, you know, it might sound odd, but all I could think about was being pregnant again, because that's, that's how I remember him as, you know, and, and 
I had no closure with that. And I thought I was going to be bringing home a baby boy in a matter of weeks. Right. Why the devastation was just, it was really unbearable for for quite some time. And because I had to have a C-section, we couldn't try for at least a year. So that whole year was really tough. But I think, you know, I spent that time trying to do a lot of healing. I mean, obviously physically, but mentally, emotionally, you know, I sought out a counselor. And I think I would have to just tell others that just don't stop if, you know, find the right one that's right for you. Because I didn't, you know, I went to one, and it was not a good fit at all. And I found someone that was really fantastic. And she was she was great for me. Uh, I was able to talk with her about my grief and trauma and work with her um, on that. And it's just, it's just nice to have someone outside of, you know, just my husband to be that open ear. And I had, of course, some close friends, but it's nice to have that professional opinion and to have their insight as well. So, you know, it going into a pregnancy after any loss is hard. And I feel like no matter how much you try and prepare yourself, you're never going to be truly prepared. And I think when I would look at the span of nine months, it would seem very daunting and overwhelming and terrifying. Um, but what I tried to focus on was maybe one day at a time, one sonogram at a time, one week at a time, whatever it may have been in, in those moments. And, you know, I guess I'd love to share a, a story, a little story with you about it was actually when it was my pregnancy with my son after we lost Daniel that really helped get me through the remainder of my pregnancy. I was um, approaching the few, it was a few weeks before we would have uh, the same gestational age, just a few weeks before, I guess. Um, I had our old sitter from another, you know, town over an hour, some away. I haven't talked to her in years. She had babysat for our first son. And so she had our number and she had reached out to me and she had told me I, she had a dream about me the night before. And I said, really? I, like, what could that be about? And I was just very caught off guard. And she proceeded to tell me that she had a dream that we had a beautiful baby boy and we named him Andrew, but called him Drew for short to keep in line with all the D names in our family. And we had just chosen our son's name the week before between my husband and I. And that's exactly what we did. Wow. Because my husband's, my husband's grandpa was named Andrew. And we wanted to, all of our, our boys to have a D name and we wanted to keep in line with all the D names in the family. And she had no idea who any of our family was, if they even had D names or whatsoever. She never met them. Um, and I hadn't had contact with her in quite some time. So I, it's God moments like that, right. that got me through my pregnancy after we lost our son, Daniel. There's just no explanation besides God being involved in something like that. But I realize not everybody gets those kind of um, miracle moments. I just think trying to keep my faith in God, which, you know, I know that can also be hard for a lot of people after they experience loss like that. But I tried to hold on to my faith and tried to stay positive and, you know, and just tried to keep, especially with my husband, I, I tried to let him in on how I was feeling and, and we tried to work through it together. Yes, yeah, you bring up a great point because I think for couples or significant others that the grief and the healing process can often be very different or look different. And so, like you said, it's so important for couples to have an open line of communication and to speak to one another and to work through that stuff. Because like you said, the loss of a child is just something that, you know, you don't want anybody to ever go through. Like I said, it's just important to lean on each other. But then I also love that you mentioned getting a therapist or a counselor, because I think that that's also important just to have somebody outside of your friends and family and significant other to have to talk to, to, to share some of those 
feelings that you don't want to feel, you don't want to often admit, but they're there. And, you know, I just think it's important to have somebody like that to share all that with. Right, exactly. So what, I guess, motivated you then to give back to other families like you guys have after your losses? You know, I guess I would just have to say it was my grief that motivated me. And I know that might sound almost a little bit odd, but really it was the, it was my grief because I, I didn't, if there was a way for me to keep other people from experiencing the same situation that we did, my husband and I did, then I really wanted to pursue that. And I found that in the cuddle cots. It all started when I received an anonymous gift on our front porch one day, and it was in the weeks following our son's passing. And it was from the Healing Embrace. I don't know if you've heard of that company, but it's really wonderful. Just different types of gifts in that box, but also it had a pamphlet and there was a picture of a cuddle cot on there. And that was where I first saw it, but I wasn't really sure exactly how it worked. It was just the box. And so I didn't spend a ton of time looking into it, but then my sister-in-law a few weeks later saw a story about it and she's like, is this what you saw? And so I read into it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just amazing. Like every hospital needs to have one of these because, you know, with our son, he was born still, our hospital did not have one of those. And I'll explain what those are in a, in a minute. But with our son, he, um, we were encouraged to use the morgue. And that's oh. just an awful thing for the parents. But the, the nurses did this in our best interest because they wanted to try and preserve our son while we spent time with him. But what that meant is, you know, I would have to request him to be taken away from me and to be taken to that place. And to put your son in that word in the same sentence was really devastating. Yeah. And so then he was gone for several hours at a time and returned to us. And he was obviously very different. And so we lost a lot of time with him. We lost Mm -hmm. the time that he had to be away from us, but we lost being able to see him for what he was during the time that we had. Because like I said, time just was not kind to his figure, especially when they're so fragile like that. So we spent about three days with him. Um, And by the time we left, I knew that it was his way of telling us like we needed to be we need to say goodbye. It was it was getting really hard. So, you know, with a cuddled cot, it is a cooling device, which basically allows parents to never have to put the baby down if they don't want to. There's a cooling pad that can either be placed in the bassinet or it can be held on the baby. So mom or dad can hold the baby. They can have family come visit with them in the room. The baby will always be, whether it's in their arms or in, in the actual cot with a cooling pad at all times. So with the baby being cooled continuously, this helps preserve the baby's features for much longer, which gives parents more time. And then they're never having to use something like the morgue. So that was really our inspiration to giving back to allowing other parents who go through the unimaginable path of losing a child gift of time, essentially. So, you know, we did one single fundraiser. It was one sunny day in that September. I think it was a year after Daniel had passed and we raised $30,000 in one day. It was through a um, free will donation, lunch and dinner, and our community just came out and rallied for us. That's amazing. 
It was pretty amazing. Our goal is just to raise enough money for one, but we raised enough money for 10. Oh my goodness. So we picked out 10 hospitals, including the one that we were closest to. And then also the other one that we had Daniel at, along with eight other locations in the central Illinois area. And, you know, along with that, we would present, tell them our story so they would understand what the reason is for our donation. And it was just truly amazing to see the hospital's responses. And, you know, and even afterwards, I received letters from nurses, from families, and two um, particular situations really stand out in my mind. There was a situation where we had a cuddle donation that day, and I later learned that the unit used the cuddle that evening. Wow. So the same day that we did the cuddle donation, they had used the cuddle The other situation was something that I never would have thought of. The cuddle can be used not only just for newborns, but up to one year of age. And this nurse wrote to me from the ICU. And there was an accident, a mother that was pregnant, and she was obviously in a very bad accident and the baby passed away. They were able to borrow the cuddle cot and keep the baby in the cuddle cot until the mom woke up in the ICU. Yeah. So um, just a situation I would never, you know, I'd never anticipate any of these, but a situation such as that really touched touched me tremendously. And just so the listeners understand as well that the cuddle cots like it's not a one-time use. It stays within the hospital so that multiple families are able to use it, correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I could have said that we weren't going to cry, but I should have known better. But <laughs> so I'm so sorry for what you guys went through and just where it was suggested that he go. And you know, essentially ours was the same. I mean, because with Weston, I mean, he was 14 weeks, so obviously much, much smaller. And, you know, I think before I had a loss myself, I didn't fully understand parents wanting to, you know, I guess working in different areas in, you know, labor and delivery and NICU, that parents don't always want to stay with the baby after they pass. But I guess once it happened to me, similar to you, I didn't want to let him go. So like we didn't have a cuddle cot and he was just like in a little box. And I just remember like him being there with me all night. I'd wake up and I'd look at him. I mean, I was even talking to him. And then I had to go for a DNC the next morning. And it was my husband that said, Nicole, I think it's I think it's time because like you said, and, you know, obviously he was much smaller even than Daniel, but the time just doesn't bode well, you know, for their features and you don't want to remember them like that. And I think also, you know, there's really great photographers out there as well that will help families capture really great, beautiful pictures after babies pass. And so I would think that this would help with that as well, just to give more time for families to be able to do, you know, essentially all the things that they want to do versus like what you guys had to go through to, you know, ask them for him back and forth. So it's just so great what you guys are doing because impacting so many families. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. What are some other ways that you and Dustin and your boys continue to honor all of your children? One of the big things that 
it's actually kind of rolling out now is a member of a nonprofit organization called White Lily Project. And I am one of four mothers of this nonprofit organization. And we are raising money to fund an Angel of Hope statue in a memorial garden that will be uh, locally established and within the next year. And basically the Angel of Hope statue is a symbol of hope and for parents that have lost children, pregnancies. And so what we'll be doing is erecting that Angel of Hope statue. And this Angel of Hope statue is something that is nationwide. And actually there's one in Japan and there's one in Canada. So there's over 160 of these. And if you're curious, the kind of the background comes from the Christmas box uh, book. And so if anybody's interested, they can always look that up by Richard Paul Evans. But that's where this Angel of Hope statue came from, uh, essentially. So with the Angel of Hope statues, there's an annual ceremony every December 6th at 7 p.m. And anyone that comes to a ceremony is, is encouraged to bring a white flower and set it at the foot of the statue. And so we're also going to have uh, granite walls around the statue. And we will have all the names of those lost, whether it was a pregnancy or an infant or a child, all the way up to 18 years of age, sandblasted on the walls with the parents' names and a date. And then every year we will commemorate all all the names on all the walls there. So really it's it's open to anyone. It can be someone living in another state that wants their baby on the wall, or it can be someone local um, in a surrounding community. So we have raised over 120,000. Our goal is 100,000 for the project. We've done that in about a year's time. So we, we are really... Um, Really excited about where that's going to be taking us. And we're hoping to break ground in the spring. So yeah, it's been quite a process and it's been just another great way to give back to the community and to remember our own babies. I love that. That's so amazing. And you said that there are several of the angels like throughout even the United States. Yes, about 160 or so. Okay. And what do families have to do if they wanted to add their baby's name to it? So we are in the process of getting that established. Uh, we have a website, the whitelilyproject.org. And on there, we will have a link to sending in the infant or the pregnancy information. But we run into a few kinks. So we're, we're still in the process of getting that hooked up and working. But hopefully that will be coming soon. We'll have updates coming on our Facebook page, which is also the White Lily Project. So fantastic. So great that you guys are doing that and, you know, coming together to do that and that you have such a supportive community around you that is supporting like these great things that you're doing. And I want to mention too, one time I was introducing you to somebody and I loved how you introduced yourself and then how you mentioned your boys. And I was at a conference that there was a dad that did the same thing. And, you know, he just said, we have four children, you know, there's two that are here on earth with us and two in heaven. And it's something I've not done personally. And I remember when you did it and I was just like, that is so amazing. And I actually came back from this conference and I told Josh, I said, just so you know, I'm going to start doing that. Not that he was going to say that I couldn't or would be uncomfortable with it. But if you don't mind just sharing that, because I think it's important for families to know that. And, and I know it's important for parents to be able to just proudly acknowledge all of their children. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind just speaking on that a little bit. Yeah, you know, and I think for myself, that has been challenging too, in a sense that because we've experienced loss in every trimester, it's really confused me and how to present our children. And so 
you know, for me, I, I try to look at it like with our losses that were earlier on. And I, I think if I would have been able to experience time and hold of our 15 week old baby girl, it would have been even different for me. Mm-hmm. But I think it does, it gets confusing. And I feel confused by it sometimes too. But the way I have done it, when people ask, and especially, especially when I know that I'm going to have a relationship with this person, you know, if it's someone in passing, I may not because I always feel that I'm going to make them uncomfortable. You know, if it's a quick conversation, if they ask me and I know I'm never going to see them again, then I'm, I really probably won't tell them because of the uncomfortable situation I feel like I put them in. But when it's someone that I know I'm going to be, you know, whether I'm working with or it's a new friend or something of that nature, I do tell them, I tell them that we have four boys. And if they ask another question, if they ask their age, then I give them that additional information. Sometimes it stops there. Sometimes they're like, oh, that's so wonderful. You have four boys. And then there's sometimes too, when people see us out and they'll ask our boys ages and they're like, oh, you know, you have such a, you have a bigger age gap between those first two. And I just kind of nod my head. Because I know they don't mean anything by it. And if it's just someone in passing, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Right. I feel like there's such a gray area with it. So I think it's what you're comfortable with, you know, as a parent, as a mother, as a father, and what makes the most sense for you and what speaks true to you in your heart. Right. So, and there's no wrong answer, you know, there really isn't because you know, in your heart where all your children are, you know, but yeah, that definitely can be a trying question. That's for sure. Definitely. Yes. And you said it exactly as I would have, that you fear that you're going to make the person you're speaking to uncomfortable. And so I think you tend to brush over it or you don't give all the details because out of the fear for that. And just have to decide, like you said, what is best for you. And I do like the idea that you said, like, whether or not it's just somebody you're going to meet in passing or whether or not it's somebody you actually feel like you're going to continue to build a relationship with. I think one of the really great things about specifically pregnancy and infant loss awareness month and day is there's a lot of moms and parents that still live in silence. They just don't share their losses. And that is 100% up to them. There are people like you and I that really try to speak out about it and the goal to honor our children, but also to hopefully help other people. Because like I said, I think it's one of the things that definitely connected you and I, I feel like you know, I had really rough days and I would hear from you and you would give me such great advice or support. And I just think it's important to just bring awareness to it because once you do speak out about it, you do hear from a lot of people then, because as we know, unfortunately, it's so incredibly common, especially in pregnancies that one in four pregnancies will end in a loss. So with that, because you've been such a great support to me, what are some comforting words or any other support or advice that you would like to offer to families who are listening that have endured a loss? So I would have to say, gosh, you know, that's a hard one because I feel like there's could be so many people listening that are at different stages of their grief. So that can make it challenging too. But I think one thing that stands out in my mind is something that our priest told us. And he had said that grief is a place to visit, not to stay. And that was really hard for me to wrap my head around in the days or even months after Daniel passed away. But I get it. You know, I tried really hard 
you know, our son, our first son was too when Daniel passed. I really tried hard in those earlier days to really try and be present with him. Because when you're going through the deepest part of your grief, your mind is constantly on rewind, going through that trauma all day long. And so you have to really try and work at stepping outside of that grief and trying to be present so you don't miss out on so much because you do miss out. Mm -hmm. You really do. But as time goes on, being present becomes a little bit easier. You might not see it from day to day, but it's from month to month. And now I can really say that I'm doing okay. And I think that was the biggest fear for me after Daniel passed. I really wanted to talk to someone that had been through it to know that they were okay. Like, I'm going to make it through. I'm going to survive this. I have to. And I need to know that I am. So, you know, for anyone that has going through it, just know that if you're able to manage your and, and try and deal with your grief in the most healthy way that you can, you're going to be able to survive it and you're going to be able to live a beautiful life. It may not be quite as colorful as what you thought it would be, but you still are happy and you can still smile and you can love so deeply and fiercely, you know, so it's, it's just a matter of taking what God has given you and trying to shape it to the best that you that you can and and keep moving forward because that's what we have to do just to keep moving forward. I love that. Thank you so much. And I agree too. The stages are very important because yes, whenever you do endure a loss or you're going through grief, there's definitely different stages that you will go through. And just like you said, sometimes the days they seem to go on and you know you can't figure out what you even did yesterday, but before you know it, there'll be a few weeks down the road and you've made some strides in the process of healing. And like we mentioned, just to definitely talk to people and as hard as it is, you do have to move through your grief. You can't move around it because then you're really not healing yourself and you're not going to end up being the best for your family, you know, whatever your family may look like. So thank you so much for sharing all of that and for joining me. It's been so great to see you and to reconnect with you. And I've always been so impressed by everything that you guys are doing and just know that you're making a huge difference. And so I, on behalf of many people, want to just say thank you and just keep doing everything you're doing. And if people wanted more information about the cuddle cots or anything that we've talked about, is there a way that you're okay with them getting in contact with you? Absolutely. We still have our Facebook page on, well, Facebook. It's Daniel's Cuddle Clot for Angels is on there and it has links to all of our placements and then as well as our White Lily Project. It's just a White Lily Project page on Facebook and that's where we'll have all of our updates and um, we'll be updating everyone, the public too, on when they can start submitting names for the, the walls as well. So Thank you so much. It's been so great to see you, and I so appreciate you joining me. Well, thank you, Nicole. You too. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much, Tasha, for being so vulnerable and for sharing more about Daniel and your other two losses. I know that it can be difficult to discuss, but I appreciate your openness, and I know it will help other families who have endured the excruciating pain of losing a child. And I will say it again, I commend you and your husband for all of your work and dedication to raising funds for the Cuddle Cots, which are now helping so many families, as well as the Angel of Hope statue that will allow families to honor their beloved children that they have lost. The links for both of these amazing organizations will be in the show notes if you would like more information or to speak with Tasha. 
As we close out Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, I want families to know that they are not alone. Enduring a loss can be a very isolating experience, but I really encourage you to speak with your significant other, friends, and or family members. I also recognize that they may not fully understand your feelings or your grief, so I encourage you to find a professional therapist or counselor to speak with. Additionally, just as Tasha mentioned, if the first person or therapist that you speak to is not a great fit, then do not give up, but yet try another one until you find the right match. Your grief will never end, but it is an evolving process that will look different for everyone and as time passes. I want you to know that we are thinking of you, and I pray for peace and comfort for you as you navigate through it. Also, for anyone listening who has not endured the loss of a child themselves, but if you have a friend or loved one who has, I encourage you to continually check in with the parent, ask them about their child, and say their baby's name. I promise you will not make them uncomfortable, but yet you will actually acknowledge their continued grief and reassure them that their child has not been forgotten which is one of the biggest fears for parents who have lost a child. For our show notes and links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 54. As always, please consider sharing this episode with someone who may gain some value from it. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear, so make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye.